We're starting a, a late summer series called Wanderlust. Have you heard of the word wanderlust? Anybody? Anybody heard of that word? Okay. Oh, this is encore. I thought you were cooler than that. Uh, there's a 2012 movie called Wanderlust. Uh, there is a music festival called Wanderlust. Um, there is actually a little bit of a social media movement called Wanderlust, and it can involve anything from meditation to hot yoga to uh, flower picking. I mean, the whole idea is a, is a love for life, a deep and passionate love for life, or a, a lust for wandering, you know, the, the journey and the movement of life to really get after it and to love it. Now, before we get into the series, it's a five-week series to close out summer in preparation for our fall launch on September 10th. I have to have a confession to you right now. I do not have wanderlust. In fact, I have stay-at-home lust. I have stay-at-home lust. And that stay-at-home lust for me is powerful. I don't want to leave a two-mile radius from my house. Uh, I, I love our, our home, but to me, sense of home is not just the place we live. The sense of home is the area in that two-mile radius. I live right down the street. So when I come to work here at Rancho, it's just, I mean, it's a two-minute drive. Um, all of the grocery stores and restaurants, everything I want is right here within two miles. I don't have to move out of here, ever. In fact, if somebody says, hey, let's have a cup of coffee, you know that Starbucks off of Meadows? I'm like, you're not talking about Central California Meadows. I mean, I'll go to the Starbucks in Southern, Cal Southern Temecula, but not, not Central Temecula. I mean, that's, and Northern Temecula is like Kazakhstan to me. It's like, who wants to go to Northern Temecula? Um, I want to be right here. So I don't have this wanderlust, you know, kind of, a, kind of a deal. But God wants us to have this sense of adventure. He wants us to have a great sense of adventure. I just don't have that. Now, in my, um, in my profession, I do tend to travel six to eight times domestically, and there's one international trip. So I travel, but I have to just be honest with you, I travel grumpy. I travel light, and I travel grumpy. I do not like the process of traveling. I love the United States of America and seeing it. I love the world. I've been all over the, all, all over the world and love to see it, but the process of traveling to me is a nightmare. So I travel light. When my wife says, hey, when are you going to start packing for the trip? It's like, we've been married 25 years, right? I'm packing for the trip 45 seconds before I leave that door. And it's all going in a backpack. If it doesn't go in a backpack, it ain't going. I'll go on a two-week international trip and everything's going in a backpack. If I'm overseas and need something, I'll get it. It's not a problem. We'll get it, right? I don't have to take it. We don't have luggage that's expensive. You know that Sam Samsonite stuff you got to sell a child to get? We get Walmart luggage. So it's like guaranteed a wheel's going to stick and then you're dragging this all over the place. I'm not going to do it. No luggage. It's, it's illegal in, in my world. Um, now, when I, again, I travel. I love it, but getting there. The process of getting there, I hate it. It's the waiting and waiting and waiting and you get to the airport and you wait to park and you wait at the ticket deal and you wait for security and you're wondering, have I properly disrobed for all these strangers? Have I properly laid out all my personal belongings for all these strangers? And then you get the MRI at the end, you know, okay, you're, you're cleared for travel, sir, but you might want to check out that liver cancer. It's like, okay, thanks for letting me know. Off you go here. But, you know, the travel is, is difficult, but I also have to think, you know what, three generations ago, what would you have had to do? To get from Pennsylvania to California three generations ago, you're loading up the covered wagon and you are fighting scurvy and pestilence and disease and violence and thievery and all kinds of things, right? To, to do a three-month journey to get to California. Now you go to an airport, you wait for a little while, but you get in a 350,000-pound steel tube and you fly like magic anywhere in the world within hours. And it really is kind of cool. So even though I don't have that, that wanderlust, that, that passion for travel, 
I do have a passion for the journey of life, and that's what we're talking about the next five weeks. It's a passion for what God is doing in our lives, what God is stirring in our souls. You know, what he's doing in, in the spiritual part of who we are and, and, and where we're heading in this incredibly exciting journey that he's called us to. Now, a lot of us don't like that kind of a journey. A lot of us would rather stay in that safe zone. A lot of us would rather stay in this very familiar, safe, and unchallenging spot in life. We like it this way. We like life generally to be familiar, safe, and unchallenged, especially when it comes to our walk with God. When it comes to our walk with God, we don't want a lot messed up. In fact, for a lot of us, we were told what to believe when we were young, and that's just what we believe when we're old. And if anybody comes alongside, whether it's a pastor or an author or chatter, you know, and if it's different than what we were raised to believe, we get upset. Ah, heresy, right? It happens a lot, especially, you know, in some older generations. Don't challenge my safe zone. Don't challenge that, you know, spot that I want to be comfortable in. When it comes to church, hey, I've got my church and I've got my service and I got my seat in my service and God help the fool who tries to sit in my seat, right, in my service. We like it safe, we like it familiar, we like it unchallenged. But that is not how God has designed us. God has not designed us for safe and familiar and unchallenged. He's designed us to move. And so when we look at his word, we see that throughout the Bible, God calls us to move. And this is one of the meta-narratives of God's word. Meta-narrative just simply meaning the big picture story. God wants us to move. It all begins in the Garden of Eden, and the Garden of Eden is just this word picture of God's relationship with us. And a lot of people, um, especially if you've been raised in church, you might have heard, hey, God designed us to live in the Garden of Eden. He always intended us to live in the Garden of Eden, which is familiar and safe and unchallenged. But that is just not the case. God never designed us to live in a Garden of Eden. God never designed us to live in a safe, familiar, unchallenged world. In fact, in Genesis chapter one, God's first commandment to humanity, this is before sin enters the world, his first commandment is this, be fruitful, increase in number, and what? Fill the earth. He never designed us to stay in the safe, familiar, unchallenged world of this garden. The garden is just an image of God's love for us and God's care for us, but he said, get out, get out. Do something interesting, go on an adventure. Build families all over this world. Bring this chaotic world into order. God's design from the beginning was to move. Then God calls Abram. This is his first specific revelation to humanity. And he calls out Abram. And Abram is essentially this king in Mesopotamia, the, the Euphrates Valley, you know, right around Iraq. And the Euphrates Valley is, is very lush and fertile. And here is Abram, and he's a king in this area. And God says, listen, I, I, I want to do something powerful in your life, but I'm not doing something powerful in your life unless you move. So Abram, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, and go. Get out of here. Go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. So his family gets established. He and his sons and his, and his grandsons get established in the land of Canaan, uh, which is now modern day Israel. They start getting comfortable. They start getting established. And God says, time to move. Time to move. A famine hits. And he says, you got to go to Egypt. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for I will make you into a great nation there. And you can imagine Jacob going, how about you make us a great nation here? Here it is familiar. Here it is safe. Here is, it is unchallenged. God says, no, you got to move. I've designed you to move. Go down to Egypt. And I'll go down to Egypt with you, and then I'm going to bring you back again. We're going to move again. 
Now, this was 400 years later. Now, the nation of Israel was made great, but they were made great as slaves in Egypt. Now, they grew comfortable in their slavery. They actually began to feel safe and familiar as slaves. And, uh, and God calls Moses and says, hey, Moses, you've got to get these people out of here. They're, they're growing safe and familiar as slaves. I didn't design them for slavery. Get them moving. They, they move out of Egypt, 10 plagues, that whole deal, and they run into the, to the Red Sea. They run into the Red Sea and think, okay, well, we're done. We're done moving, right? We're done moving forward. This is the Red Sea. This is not a red puddle. This is not a red river. This is the Red Sea. We're done. Moses starts sniveling to God, understandably, and God says, why are you crying? There's no crying in the Exodus. Tell the Israelites to what? Move forward. We're standing in front of a sea. Move forward. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that my people can go through. God says nothing is going to prevent my people from moving forward. They get reestablished in the land of Canaan, now known as the nation of Israel. They build uh, kings and kingdoms and they build authority and they expand their borders. Now they have money. They have wealth. They start investing that in themselves. They're no longer a light to the nations. So now they're into their own pleasure and they're worshiping everything that moves and everything that doesn't move. They're worshiping all the surrounding gods. They're not obeying God at all. There's no justice on the earth. They are mistreating uh, you know, the, the immigrants and refugees. They are just in it for themselves, right? And God says, it's time for you to move. And so he brings in the Assyrians and they w- wipes out the 10 tribes, brings in the Babylonians and takes the two southern tribes into captivity. So now they're enslaved uh, to the Babylonian empire. And while they're there, God says this, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. I'm orchestrating this move. I brought you here. While you're in exile as slaves in Babylon, pray to the Lord for the city, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And sure enough, the nation of Israel really kind of got their act together as slaves in Babylon. They became monotheistic for the first time. They worshiped God alone. Uh, They began to think about themselves as a light to the nations. They gathered their word together. They really formed the 36 books of the Old Testament together in exile in Babylon. And God says, now it's time for you to move back. It's time for you to move back. The Babylonians became the Persians and the Persians uh, paid for them to return to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, rebuild the city, rebuild the nation. They're moving again and establishing the nation of Israel. 400 years after that, Jesus comes on the scene. When Jesus comes on the scene, the, the Jews expected the savior to be for them. We're God's chosen people. Let's pat ourselves on the back, right? We're God's chosen people. So when the Savior comes, when the forgiver comes, he will come for us. Again, they lost their way. They didn't have this mentality about moving out God's grace to the earth. No, they wanted God's grace for themselves and nobody else. So Jesus calls his disciples together, all Jews. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he says, all authority in heaven and earth I give to you. Now what? Go make disciples of all nations. God wants his grace everywhere. He wants his grace on the move. So much so that, call it sovereign providence, call it whatever you want to, but Jerusalem was raised to the ground and the nation of Israel essentially destroyed in 70 AD. And now God's word was forced to the ends of the earth. God wants his people moving. He wants his people moving. And and we're not just talking about physical moves here. In fact, this wanderlust that we're talking about is not even about the physical moving around. It's about a spiritual journey. It's about a walk with God that moves. Uh, 
The Apostle Paul, the great missionary of the first century, talked about this internal drive to move. He says this, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. He's on the move. It's a spiritual journey. It's a, it's a journey of the heart. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. God has a call on the Apostle Paul, and it's a lifelong journey. God has a call on us, and it's a lifelong journey. Now, why does God want us to move forward? Why does God want us to move forward? Well, he's designed us to move forward. He, he never designed us to stay still. In fact, when we stay still and when we seek safety and familiarity in an unchallenged environment, that is the worst place for us to be. In fact, uh, Maslow, Abraham Maslow, he's a famous uh, psychologist, and he developed Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We all study that in school, right? He studied human need, and he says we have a human need to move forward. Uh, the alternative is a nightmare. He says this, in any given moment, we have two options, to step forward into growth or step back into safety. If we are wanting a safe and secure environment, a familiar environment, He's saying, we are moving backwards here. We're moving backwards. We're not designed for safety. We're not designed to stay still. That's retreating backwards fast. We're designed by God to move forward. So instead of uh, Maslow, I prefer this quote. It's much more intellectual. The road of life is paved with flat squirrels that didn't move. <laughs> we are not designed to stay still, if we stay still, if we want safe, if we want familiar, if we want unchallenged, we're just easy targets. We're not designed for that. We're designed to move, designed to move. Proverbs 4 says this, get the passion behind the wisdom of moving forward here. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Just hear that voice of God saying, keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. So that begs the question here. Where are we going, right? If we're moving forward, where are we going? Are we just going aimlessly anywhere or is there a specific destination that God has for us? So I want you to answer this question in your own mind. Don't say it out loud unless you have a safe zone next to you. Where does God want to take you? Where does God want to take you? Now, it is a bit of a trick question. There is one right answer. There are a million different directions to get to that one answer. But God wants us all in the same place. Our journey there is different. Our journey there is unique and wonderfully custom for us, right? But where does God want to take us? What's the destination? Do you have an answer in your mind? Nobody nodded their head. Come on. Here it is. You ready? Romans eight twenty nine. For those God foreknew, personally, he predestined us. So this is the destination. He predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That's where we're headed. We are all each individually on a journey to be conformed to the likeness of his son. We are destined to be like Jesus. We're destined to be like Jesus. Now, I remember the first time I was told that, I'm like, uh, what? Jesus is here, I'd be here. Jesus here, I'm here. There's a long way between Jesus and me. I, I am carrying too much guilt. I do too many things that Jesus wouldn't do. I don't do too many things that Jesus clearly does. We've got a big chasm here, right? 
there's no way I ever thought of myself being on a journey towards Christ-likeness. To me, it was just about, you know, I'm a sinner, he's the Savior, and that about settles it. I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness, he's the Savior who forgives, and that's about it. There was no sense of a lifelong journey. I'm a sinner, he's the Savior, I wait to die to go to heaven. Well, that just shortcuts this whole idea of wanderlust. It completely just truncates the whole journey that God wants us on. He wants us on a lifelong journey to be conformed to the image of his son, a lifelong journey to be like Jesus. Now, when I heard that as a 17-year-old, I thought, that's insane, it's crazy, no way, no how. Then I got to thinking of this question here, and I want you to think of this as well. Can you be more like Christ tomorrow than you are today? What's the answer to that question? I have one person nodding their head. Now, good job. Can you be more like Christ tomorrow than you are today? The answer is yeah. And we can get our heads around that. You know, I, I might have made some mistakes this morning. You know, getting to church was a little choppy. Got a little angry, got a little, you know, little, little biting to my kids or to my spouse and had a little bad attitude and might have thought something about somebody. And, you know, maybe this afternoon you're gonna blow it somehow, some way. Um, you know, you're, just, you're not there yet, I'm not there yet. So today we're striving to be like Christ, but maybe tomorrow, what if we had a vision for tomorrow? What would it be like tomorrow if I was more like Christ than I was today? That's a cool thing to think about. Now, even though I might consider myself here and Jesus Christ here, if I can live a little more like Christ tomorrow than today, I'm on a journey. And I can crave that journey. And it's not a journey to become like Jesus because he needs me to become like Jesus or that if I'm more like Jesus, he will love me more. God cannot love you any more than he has loved you from the beginning of time. His love for you is sure no matter if you're on that journey or not. No matter if you're moving forward or moving backwards. God cannot love you anymore. Uh, there's nothing we can earn from God. Every good thing he gives us as a gift. He gives us forgiveness as a gift and eternal life as a gift and every blessing as a gift. He loves us unconditionally like a heavenly father. But in his love, he wants us to experience the incredible excitement of a journey to become more like Jesus. And it's an exciting journey. And so years ago, somebody was kind enough to say, hey, you know, Treadway, I know you're just sinner and Jesus is savior and, you know, die and go to heaven. That's not the story. The story is Jesus is a savior and forgiver for sure, but he wants to redeem and restore all of creation, including us, to its rightful place. He wants us to know his love and then to love. He wants this world to know his love and to share that love. He's got a vision for your life and a vision for this world. And if we can just open ourselves up to the idea that God over time will make us more and more like Christ, we're in for a wonderful journey ahead. So if you're not in your head, you can be more like Christ tomorrow than you are today because of his spirit, because of his word, because of encouragement among friends, then you're on that journey. And that can become a wanderlust, right? That can become a passion, an absolute passion uh, for the journey to become more like Christ. So that's our individual calling, our individual destination. How about a communal destination? Where are we going as a church family? Where are we going? Well, the Bible has something to say about that as well in Ephesians 4, and we'll close with this. Ephesians 4.12, prepare God's people for service so that the body of Christ, the church, might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, here's the punchline. Ready? And become mature, attaining the whole measure and the full stature of Jesus Christ. This is our calling as a church. Individually, we're called to be more like Christ. 
communally, as a church, we're called to express the full ministry of Jesus Christ, meaning that we as a church have the calling to express the full ministry of Jesus in our city. Now, some of you who know church life, you're like, uh, that, no, I don't see myself becoming like Jesus, and I don't see the church expressing the full ministry of Jesus. I mean, the problems with the church are just as big as the problems in our own personal life, right? I mean, the church is known for hypocrisy and gossip and backstabbing and politicking and failed leaders, right? I mean, we can list the failures in our personal lives and we can list the failures in our church world, right? And we can use that as an excuse. There's no way I can become more like Christ individually and there's no way the church can become the full expression of Christ in our city. And so the question remains, can we, Rancho, express more of the fullness of Christ next week than we did this week? And what's the answer? Yes, we can. And last week was a good week. I mean, last week, what God did with our middle school students and what God did through the Joni and Friends camp and what God did as we, you know, moved a community mission of hope into our brand new ministry center in, in central Temecula there. And we got to uh, really wrap our arms around two other pantries that were struggling and give them a home and work together cooperatively and we're serving you know, upwards of 1,000 needy people in our city every single week at Rancho. That last week was a good week, but what if we had this wanderlust idea that maybe next week, how cool would it be if next week as a church we express more of the fullness of Christ? That's the wanderlust. A passion for the journey to live out the full ministry of Jesus Christ in our city. When I was 17 years old, I was um, new to ministry. I was volunteering in youth group, and I started preaching in other venues. And a mentor came alongside of me, Monty Sharp. He's still in town here. Just saw him a couple days ago. He um, puts his arm around me, and he said, hey, listen, you are just basically calling yourself a sinner and calling everybody else a sinner. He says, I want you to think about changing that vocabulary. The Word of God says Jesus paid for the sins of the world that he paid the penalty of our sins, that our sins are gone and buried, so why are we labeling ourselves sinners all the time? The book of Romans makes it very clear that we have died to sin, are no longer slaves to sin, which is selfishness and pride and hurting others. We are now a slave to righteousness. In other words, we, our hitch is not on the sin wagon. Our hitch is in the righteousness wagon. We are hitched to Jesus Christ. We're no longer a slave to sin. We are a slave, a willing slave to Jesus. We willingly follow him, not out of compulsion or guilt or fear, but out of a vision of love, forgiveness, and a vision for what uh, the world can be and who we can be in Christ. It's an exciting vision forward. Let's not label ourselves by sin. Let's not label ourselves by failure. That'll keep us stuck. That'll keep us as a squirrel in the middle of the road, just ready to get hammered, right? With no lust for life, no lust for a walk with God towards the likeness of Jesus Christ. If we can get rid of that fear mentality and get rid of that guilt mentality and start saying, Jesus has called me to a new identity. He's a father who loves me like a son. He's a father who loves me like a daughter. He's a father that doesn't see the failures. He sees all of the potential in the future and he'll guide us there in love and grace and mercy and compassion and forgiveness. And let's just put one foot in front of the other and start walking. You know, the journey of a thousand miles begins with what? A single step. And as a 17-year-old, brand new to ministry, Mr. Monty Sharp let me know there could be a first step towards the likeness of Christ. And I may be three steps on that 1,000-mile journey, 
You may be a half a mile on that thousand mile journey, but we can walk this thing together. Tomorrow, we could be more like Christ than we are today. Next week as a church, we can express the fullness of Christ's ministry more than we did this week. And let that be our journey. It is exciting. It is exciting. This passion to say, you know what? I want to love my wife tomorrow better than I loved her today. I want to love my kids tomorrow better than I loved them today. I want to serve my neighbor, the stranger, better than I did yesterday, right? This can be the passion of life. This can be our wanderlust. As I close our time in prayer, I'm going to just pray a prayer that kind of eliminates the excuses, right? Just eliminates the excuses, puts the excuses aside and says, God, would you give me a passion for the journey, taking that next first step? Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for how your word calls us to a vision to move. We confess that we are just more comfortable staying put. We're more comfortable and safe and familiar and unchallenged especially when it comes to our walk with you. We like things pretty clean and well-organized. But God, you have always moved your people forward in big, dramatic ways. So we see in front of us a vision to become like Jesus Christ. And we see this huge gap. And we might think to ourselves, there's no way I can become more like Jesus Christ. There's no way. But God, I pray that we would have that, that passion to take that next step, that perhaps to honor Christ a little better tomorrow than we did today. Be more like him a little better tomorrow than we did today to just take that next journey, not out of guilt or shame or fear or trying to earn anything from you, but simply out of love and gratitude. Have that vision of loving others the way Christ loves others, to serve others the way Christ serves others, to come against injustice and to work for uh, righteousness and love in this world. Give us a lust for this journey both individually and as a church. God, we want to live out the full expression of the ministry of Christ in our city. Give us guidance in that direction. For your honor, for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 